This is Concertante, works for the violin with LACO Concertmaster, Margaret Bacher. Hi, Margaret, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you, it's great to be here. When you've got an album with works that span three centuries, you've got a really eclectic album. That was kind of what drove the repertoire on this record, I think. I feel, from a musical perspective, I am fairly eclectic in my tastes, and I believe the chamber orchestra is also an eclectic orchestra. People think of the chamber orchestra as being fairly traditional because of its former recordings, you know, with Neville Mariner and a lot of very Baroque and very classical recordings. But in fact, the chamber orchestra is a huge proponent of contemporary music, of 20th century music, and its roots are in the classics like Bach. And so I wanted Bach to be on this record because I think it's so much in the DNA of our orchestra. But in terms of the whole project, I wanted it to stand out as being fairly eclectic. You've got American composer Pierre Jalbert, you've got Bach, you've got Arvo Pert and Petrus Vosks, and you've got the LACO widely believed to be one of the top ensembles in the world. They're known for wide-ranging repertoire and adventurous commissions. Absolutely. I got to know Pierre pretty much right away when I joined the Chamber Orchestra about 20 years ago. And I loved his music. I loved the commission that we did. And then we did another piece by him about five years later. And over the past couple decades, I've played a few of his chamber music works at different festivals and stayed in touch with him and... In the back of my mind, I always wanted to commission a violin concerto by him. When you think about making an album and recording some music, your decision is not based on what's in fashion at the moment, but what you really want to record and what you really feel is meaningful. Well, I think ultimately that makes a better record. I think if you're passionate about the music that you decide to record and you have something to say about it, it's going to be a better record. You pulled off a live recording and it sounded like a studio recording of this music, which of course is very colorful and lots of strong rhythmic gestures and very atmospheric. It is a live recording and that's always terrifying because as a player, you always want a recording to be somewhat technically as close to perfect as you could make it. And when you have a live recording, you have to kind of let go of the perfection element because you are in the moment of a live performance. We had two performances of it, and this was the second night performance with just a very, very short patch session. So once we finished and got that in the can, so to speak, the label BIS got interested in the project. And so we were very fortunate to work with them. They were very collaborative. So as the 20th year of my tenure at LACO came to be, they came to me and said, what would you like to do to celebrate? And I said, commission a concerto by Pierre Jalbert. And that was the beginning of this recording project was we entered into a tri-commission with the Milwaukee Symphony and St. Paul Chamber Orchestra. And it unofficially became known as the Concertmaster Concerto because the Concertmaster Frank Allman in Milwaukee premiered it and Stephen Copes in St. Paul premiered it and then I did it in Los Angeles. But we retained the recording rights, which was also my hope was to raise the money to record it. 
often said of Pierre's music, it's very whimsical. And I think that comes from not only his rhythmic sense, but his lyrical sense. I found the pacing of the concerto, it's a, it's a long piece, it's 27, 28 minutes, but he wrote it in two movements, which is also not standard for a concerto, and yet it was perfect for this piece because he gave himself time to develop his ideas for each movement in a very satisfying way. In this scherzo, you employ some pitch bending. Yes, he loves pitch bending. We talked about that a lot. And how extreme did he want it? How subtle did he want it? You know, I'm sure that all three of us, the three concertmasters who performed this piece, probably did it slightly differently of the modern techniques. That's probably his most extreme technique in this concerto. Then we move to the Bach concerto in A minor. So we go from Jalbert, who's contemporary, to this Bach piece written in 1730, which is a later work, more developed. Absolutely. I think stylistically, for instance, if you compare them to the Brandenburg Concerti, perhaps more advanced. Bach wrote four concertos, and yet we only play two. (laughs) And I'm not sure exactly what happened to those other two they weren't preserved it's such a shame because both concertos the e major and the a minor which we recorded are just such great staples of the literature perhaps non-musicians think of Bach as being very one-dimensional and yet if you look at the works of Bach the cantatas the mass 
the violin concertos, the piano concertos, the solo sonatas, the cello sonatas, violin partitas and sonatas, that's an enormous variety of styles from an emotional standpoint and from a compositional standpoint. He had enormous variety in his music. But the main thing with most of all of his, certainly his string concertos and keyboard concertos is joy. Beautiful slow movements and joyous outer movements. Bach on a lot of projects that also present contemporary music. It seems to be a great pairing. I've always paired Bach with Perrot because I think Perrot's sort of obsession and love for Gregorian chant, that thread of how his tonality, how he felt things fit very well with Bach's music. This was written in 1977, and of course, right off the bat, an incredibly striking sound from the violin. Thank you. 
That cadenza at the beginning is a little terrifying, <laughs> but fun to play. The parrot is, it speaks for itself. It's a very simplistic six bar theme and then a set of variations beyond it. His musical language, which he called Tintinabuli, which is Latin for Little Bell, that was what emerged from his previous compositions in the mid-70s, 1970s, and it became sort of his calling card with the rest of his compositions from that moment on. And it really is, it speaks to people. He's one of the most performed composers in the world, which is maybe a surprising fact, but his music, it's received very well. And this piece gets atmospheric. The bells going, the, like the, the wood block, the thump of the bass drum. You really do feel a narrative of this chant-like feeling. I don't want to say hopelessness, because it's not a hopeless piece, but it has a kind of sadness to it, a kind of angst to it. And it was written without fixed instrumentation. Yes, the parrot was. It's performed on cello, it's performed on different instruments, which is also a new kind of compositional style that you can replace the solo instrument and different instruments in the orchestra. It can be played as a duo, just with piano, and is often done that way. It's a hugely successful piece that's played in all of its different connotations. Fratris literally means brothers in Latin, and from what I understand, the story behind this piece is the monks, this kind of Estonian feel to the piece. You can imagine in Eastern Europe these these brothers, these monks, walking through the mountains to their prayer services, and for me is the mirror of the Petrus Vosk work, which is this piece called The Lonely Angel. That was the last piece I chose on the recording to sort of contrast the parrot and sort of finish the album in the way I envisioned it. Petrus Vosk was a Latvian composer born in the mid-1940s. He was a disciple of Ludoslavsky and Penderecki, probably why I gravitate towards his music because I've always been a, a huge fan of both of those composers. His writing is extremely lyrical. This violin melody that just keeps unfolding and keeps unfolding, I don't get hooked until the middle of the piece. I don't know why often this piece is referred to as a concerto for violin, and it's not really a concerto, but it's a meditation. And this piece I got to know quite late, only several years ago I heard it for the first time, and I thought, I was a little confused by it. I didn't understand the sort of architecture and the musical reason for the piece. And then, well, I'll just read you what Vosk said about the piece, and I think that kind of puts it in perspective. He wrote, I saw an angel flying over the world. The angel looks at the world's condition with grieving eyes, but an almost imperceptible loving touch of the angel's wings brings comfort and healing. This piece is my music after the pain. Once I read that quote from him, I thought that's exactly what this piece is after the pain. It's not that it goes forward with any direction necessarily, but it's a moment in time to sit back and meditate and experience it. I find, especially in today's age, that this is extremely timely 
that this piece was written looking from an angel's perspective down on the world and thinking, oh my gosh, what have we done? How can I bring comfort and healing to what humans have done? It's very touching. interesting piece to record because when you're in the studio you have to be so conscious of the technical elements we all want as performers for recordings to be somewhat as technically perfect as we can make it and yet this piece is such an emotional piece that I found it very hard to stay in the moment of like okay I need to be careful of every single bow change and every single intonation issue but I just wanted to play the piece. It just overtook me, the kind of emotional qualities of the piece. Uh, and I didn't expect that. It was a very lovely surprise. And the disc was conducted by Jeffrey Kahane, conductor, music director. Tell us about working with him on this recording and through his tenure with the orchestra. Well, it was very special for me to do this record with Jeffrey because he's Jeffrey hired me 21 years ago. And so he's been my only music director of the Chamber Orchestra until this season when Jaime Martin took over. So to end his tenure with that record was very special for me. He's an extraordinary musician, an extraordinary colleague. He also is a big proponent of Pierre Jalbert. He brought Pierre to the orchestra 20, over 20 years ago. Even though he was, at the time this recording was done, was his last year as music director so it closed the season and that was sort of a a dream of both of ours is to record and commission a piece by Pierre so it was very sweet. The orchestra's got quite an impressive list of music directors throughout the years. Yes we have going back to Neville Mariner and actually it's an interesting and very sweet coincidence that Jaime Martin, who is now our new music director, is one of the world's extraordinary flute players uh, up until the time he put down his flute to conduct. And he was the principal flute of St. Martin in the Fields under Sir Neville Mariner. And of course, Neville was our first music director at LACO. So it's a lovely way of connecting the past with the future that he's now taking the helm of our orchestra. You said that in a recording session, your closest collaborator is your producer. Can you tell us about working with Judith Sherman? Well, Judith and I go way back. I met Judy at Marlboro Festival in the summers, where she was 
the engineer for all of the Marlboro recordings that happened every summer up in Marlboro, Vermont. So I knew her quite well, and we've stayed in touch over the years. And of course, she's a multi-Grammy-winning producer, and I've watched her career over the years, and we've stayed in touch. And so when this project came up and they asked me who I wanted to have produce it, she was the first person that came to mind. I feel like there's always something comforting when you've known someone for a long time. We had a familiarity that allowed me to really feel comfortable in expressing my own opinions and listening to her opinions with a great deal of respect. What I loved about Judy is that she comes with a fully formed, much more fully formed than even my idea of the totality of a recording. So she had her vision of how the Bach, the Parrot, the Vosk was going to sit on this record with Pierce concerto and she brought that to the recording sessions as I said of course the Jalbert recording was live so we worked extremely carefully and closely in the rehearsals in the dress rehearsal knowing exactly what we needed to accomplish in the live recording so she was very helpful with that Margaret thank you very much for your comments today on the Concertante podcast oh you're welcome it was a pleasure <laughs>